You have your uh, Bibles. I'm asking you to, to please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And uh, these, four, uh, these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are four different accounts of the ministry of Jesus, uh, starting obviously with his birth. And then Luke gives us a little glimpse into Jesus' life when he was about 12. But most of it is from age about 30 to his crucifixion. And so uh, these four accounts. And we're going to really look at when Jesus was first starting this ministry. He has been baptized by John the Baptist, not because he needed to be baptized, but because uh, he was doing that as an example to us and for us. And so he's been baptized and then something very uh, powerful and wonderful happens, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up. We're going to really look at what Jesus defines as his purpose. I think if we examine our own lives, purpose is ingrained within every one of us. And we're always trying to find our purpose. What, what is it that I'm supposed to be doing or I'm supposed to do at some point in time in the future? Many animals have the opportunity or the foresight to think ahead into the future. Thus, the ant stores up food for the winter. Uh, all animals do that. The bear puts on some fat for hibernation. They can think into the future, but for a very short period of time and actually just for survival. But we are different than the animals in the fact that we can look many years into the future and we can make plans for that. If you ever go to a child and you ask them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or what do you want to do for a living? What do you want your occupation to be? What do you want to be when you grow up? You know, I've never had any child ever answer that question this way. Nothing. I don't want to do anything. I just, I don't want to do anything. They've always got an answer, right? It always got this dream, I want to be an astronaut or the president, or I want to be a school teacher, I want to be what, whatever it is, they've always got this, this is what I want to be. And even as children, they're looking ahead. I've mentioned this before, uh, we have some second cousins, and at the time they were about eight, and eight years old, eight or nine or whatever, girls, and they're playing with, they're at our house, they're playing with dolls, and our daughters, little past the age of playing with dolls, but they were playing with dolls with them. And the one little eight-year-old girl turns to Amanda and Caitlin and says, Amanda and Caitlin, will you come to my wedding? And I'm, I'm like, she's eight. That blew my mind. But it also helped me to realize girls think about that. Boys, not a chance. <laughs> not a chance. Even when it's time to get married, they just say, just tell me when to show up. I don't care. Say? So let's look at what Jesus says about his purpose. And we're going to start there in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And then we're going to skip a section and we're going to keep reading in just a few moments. All right. Verse 1 Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, let's just make a couple of comments before we move any further. I think it's very interesting and, and very important. It says Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that kind of like a statement that you'd go, well, duh. 
I mean, yeah, but he includes this in here. It's very important that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write that Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that that's the way God wants you and I to live? Full of the Holy Spirit so that we can be led by the Spirit, which is what the next statement is. Jesus was led by the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for a time of fasting and temptation. You know, let's just kind of be honest for a moment. Uh, Many times we're kind of suckered into this idea that if we're being led by the Spirit, it's always going to be prosperous and wonderful and great and awesome, and it's going to be fantastic and happy and joyful, and yay, it will never be hard. It'll never be difficult. Well, this proves that that isn't true. Jesus was led into the wilderness to not eat for 40 days. Try doing that with joy. You might be able to do it, but you'd be one angry bear, wouldn't you? I mean, I've, I've, I've never fasted that long, but the times I've fasted, it's like Lisa's like, yeah, you stay in the living room, I'll, you know, I'm, I'm going to work outside or something because I get irritable, right? I get hangry. All right. So the Holy Spirit leads him, and it's during a time of difficulty, but it always has a purpose. So Jesus is then tempted by the devil. We, we can read that there. We're not going to, but you can read it there. He's tempted, and there are, I would say there were many temptations that the devil brought to him, but three are recorded, and you can read those and learn from them. But let's skip down to verse number 14, and then we're going to read through a, li- a, little bit, a little bit lengthy today, but down into verse number 30. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee... In the power of the Spirit. Wow. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And he's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues. And everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, And sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to him, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut up for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, 
but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon, just north of Israel. And there were many, there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. <laughs> All the people in the synagogue were furious when he said this. They got up, drove him out of the town, not just out of the synagogue, out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow. Now that's a lot, isn't it? Well, let's break this down into three different areas and see how it relates to us. I want to say that um, thank you so much for the time of sabbatical that you allowed me to go on. It was very beneficial, not always easy, but uh, things like that are not. But thank you so much for that time. I know I, I mentioned this last week. Or I talked about it last week, but some of y'all were, you weren't here. You were away, and we're glad. If you can go away and you can have a time, go away and have time refreshing. But thank you so much for giving me that opportunity. And uh, it really brings some clarity in my own heart and life and mind. And so, therefore, we go in that strength uh, for the next months and years. Jesus was about knowing who he was and what he was about to do. His first thing that we want to talk about today is his identity. We find that in verses 18 and 19. He goes to the prophet Isaiah and he reads this prophecy about the Messiah. And he's saying, I just want you guys to know that that's me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's Jesus. He said, I'm the one that the prophet was talking about. And he begins to say, this is my identity. Anointed, I have a purpose, I have a reason. There are things that are going to happen. He says, I'm going to proclaim three things. Good news, freedom, and God's favor. Aren't you glad that the gospel is good news and not bad news? It's not about how God requires so much of us, but it's how God lifts the burden off of our lives. It's not how he says, you've you got to make atonement for your sin. You've got to do more good things than bad things. That's not Christianity. That's religion. That's man-made. The gospel is good news. The gospel says you come to God just the way you are, beat up, bruised, messed up, dysfunctional, and full of sin. And he says, oh, just come to God just the way you are. And God is the one that lifts that burden off of you because of the work Jesus Christ did on the cross. And Jesus is saying, this is the mission of the Messiah, and I am that person. Verse number 21 says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Not only was he announcing his identity, but this is when he says, I'm owning that identity. So that's why we sing worship songs that really talk about who we are in Christ. We have gone from beggars to royalty because we begin to proclaim our identity in Christ because once we begin to proclaim our identity, then it's a way of owning that identity. It's one thing to read a book and hear it and go, yeah, that's really good. But until we begin to own that and confess that and live that, then it's not really doing us any good. And so God wants us to know who is God, who is Christ, who are we, and how then do we live? And he begins to proclaim this identity, and he says, I'm going to own it. In your hearing, this is fulfilled. But some responded with verse number 22 and said, uh, 
isn't this uh, like Joseph's son? They've been working down the carpenter shop, building, you know, fences and tables and chairs and coffee tables. Uh, and he's talking about setting people free and liberation and getting people out of prison. This is Joseph's son. Immediately what we find is when Jesus is making this proclamation, what, what is somebody doing? Hey, come back down. Hey, who do you think you are? Um, we know who you are. You're Joseph's son. How dare you try to extend beyond what we think you're supposed to be? Now, you don't answer this question. Please don't answer this question. Ever had anybody do that for you? Oh, you think you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Well, yeah, I do. Well, no, you, we know who you are. But here's the question. It's not a matter of what people think that we are or should be. The real question is, who has God said that I am? And what, is call, is God, what call does God have on my life? That's what's important. That's what Jesus was understanding and he knew. Who I am and where I'm going. The next thing that we see is his mission, verses 24 and 27. Now, obviously, his identity and his mission were linked together. He's saying, the Lord has anointed me. In other words, he's saying, I'm the anointed one, is what Jesus was saying. And, I'm, and these things are going to happen. But in verses 24 and 27, he gets real specific. And these are the things that they didn't like. I mean, they really got upset. When you're getting ready to kill somebody, it, you're probably upset. And they got really upset. But what, what happened? He said there were many widows in the days of Elijah. Many widows in Israel. But there was only one that got a miracle, if you will, and she was not Israeli. She was not Jewish. <laughs> so you see what he's saying? The same God of the Old Testament that didn't just bless Jewish people, he also blessed people who weren't Jewish. He said, that Messiah, it's going to go from one level to a thousand levels. Where occasionally God would bless somebody who was not Jewish. He's saying the, the Messiah is going to bless anybody who comes to him and calls on his name. And then he talks about Leprosy, And he said there were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha. But none of them were healed except one, and he was a Syrian. So what is Jesus saying? He's letting them know immediately genealogy and nationality do not win the day. Faith wins the day. Doesn't matter where you've come from or who you are, what your bank account says or what your retirement plan is or how much education that you have or don't have. None of that matters in the kingdom of God. What matters is, do I have faith to believe God according to what he has promised? That includes healing and deliverance and freedom. It gives us that power to choose joy instead of the mully grubs. That's what my grandmother called it, the mully grubs. That's when you're just down all the time. You're in the mully grubs. But we get to choose joy, don't we? Amen? Because how many of us have been in the mully grubs? Yep, we have. I have. We choose joy. And he gives us that power. And it doesn't matter about our nationality. The third thing we see is in verse number 30, his perseverance. Man, I, I, I tell you, you know, we started off reading Jesus had not eaten for 40 days, and at the end of those days, he was hungry. Isn't that kind of like additional information that's not really needed? I mean, like, you know. But here's verse number 30. It's like, come on, guys, spill the beans. I want some more information on that. He just 
walked right through them. It would be one thing if they said, he walked away. Then I would be thinking, okay, maybe he threw a rock, and when they turned to find out what that sound was, he slipped out. I don't know. You know, I'm just trying to figure out how that would happen. But it says, he walked right through the middle of them. How'd he do that? You know, when you know your identity, you know your mission, nothing stops you. Not because you're so great or I'm so greater, but because God is so great. He says, I will not allow your mission to be stopped because you are being led by my spirit. When we are full of the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit, we have the power of the Holy Spirit and we will see God do in our lives what we naturally could not do and we naturally would not see. The world around us wants us to stay natural. God says, I'm calling you to live supernatural by the power of the Spirit. And so we look then at our lives and we begin to say, okay, does this apply to us? Well, first off, what is our identity? What has God said is our identity? Sure, we have an occupation and we, we live in a place and we have hobbies and we have all of those things, but what is our identity? The Bible says our identity is that we are in Christ. We are wrapped up inside of him. We are in his presence. We are in his goodness. We are in his favor. The Bible says that we are friends of God. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And so we walk with him as friends. We have the power of the Holy Spirit available to us 24-7. We have that power that goes beyond the natural and what we can do and be naturally to live at a different plane than what we used to live. He says we're ambassadors. Our identity is that of ambassadors. Now, we understand a, a good bit of that because we hear that term about every four years. So-and-so is now an ambassador to this country, an ambassador to that country. And what they do is they, they represent the president in that country. And when they give a document to the government of that country, it is a representation of the president of the United States. And that is what we're called to be as ambassadors, that we go into foreign neighborhoods, we go into foreign companies, we meet people who do not know God, and we are his ambassadors, shining and showing forth his goodness and his favor. Not being perfect, but recognizing the fact that we know the one who is. We're not called to be perfect in a sense of our behavior. We're called to be perfect in our maturity, that we are growing in our understanding and grace of God and walking more in alignment with his spirit. But we blow it, every one of us. Every one of us make mistakes. And when the people around us see it, instead of trying to hide it and cover it up, maybe we should just go and say, man, I blew it Tuesday. I was a jerk. But I've asked God to forgive me, and I'm asking you to forgive me. And just show them the grace of God. Or maybe if uh, somebody's a jerk on Tuesday to you, that never happens. You can just go ahead and forgive them and just go ahead and act like nothing even happened. Just go ahead like, hey, everything's fine. Let's go. Move on. Let's be more like Christ. We are his ambassadors and we're ministers. The Bible tells us we're ministers of the gospel. We, we have this title about people like me. I'm a minister and fill out applications or whatever. What's your occupation? I'm a minister. Well, the Bible says that we're all ministers. 
We're ministers of the grace that God has given us, and we're to minister to that to one another within the body of Christ, but also that grace to those on the outside, if you will, the people that we meet. We have an identity in Christ, and we have a mission. We have a mission, and that mission is prayer, and that mission is connecting with the saved and the lost. That mission is to show and tell, to show people what it's like to be a Christian, what to show people the grace of God, to show people the glory of God, not because we are really anything, but because he is living inside of us, and that's what makes the difference. He is the difference maker. So we show and tell. We speak the gospel. And I think you, you know, you're saying, well, I show, okay, but tell. I don't, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to tell the gospel. I don't know how to present the gospel. That's why the word says we're all ministers of the gospel, but not everyone's called to preach like this. But Jesus said this. He said, if you'll give a cup of cold water in my name, he says, you're going to get a reward for that. So that's another way of just telling the gospel is what we do and how we serve. Well, I'm, we're really pumped up about uh, this school year, and, and all the children are in ch children's church, so no booze on that one. We're really excited about uh, school year. It's the best time of the year for some parents. <laughs> yes, get on the bus. Get on the bus. Back to tranquility for a few hours. We're so excited because we have more opportunities to show the gospel of Jesus Christ to the schools that we partner with. We are going to bless them with hand sanitizer. Some of you don't know because you're fairly new to the church, but we're, we're in connection with something called Convoy of Hope and uh, Rural Compassion. And um, to cut through the chase, we were given... 4,500 cases of hand sanitizer. You can do the math. 4,500 times 12. That's how many eight-ounce bottles of hand sanitizer we have. We're going to have them here, not all of them. We're going to have a lot of cases here next week, and you're going to take a case home. That's the ticket. Some people have the ticket of admission. We have the ticket of leaving. You have No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. You can take them if you want them. And it's the good stuff, too. It doesn't stink. It wasn't made after they made rum the night before or something, whatever they were doing with those. Okay. We, man, we, we just love showing God, just showing people the favor of God and the goodness of God. And we don't put strings attached to it. We don't go, well, we're going to give you this, but we want that. We just give. And this church is filled with just givers. And we just love to give. Just keep just paying it forward, whatever you want to call it. We just keep giving and giving and giving. And that's why God has continued to bless us. We don't, what I just said about money and offering, that's kind of all we do around here. I'm going to preach on money in a, in, in a couple months. But not today. But we don't have to talk a lot about money because God's favor is on those who give to give. Almost 20% of what the money that comes into Hope Crossings goes right back out into missions. And we, and we just, I want to get that up to 25%. I just think that'd be really cool. And then if, if we can still float and live, well, let's get up to 30%. Let's, you know, J.C. Penney, I know it's, it's not a store anymore, is it? Y'all are going like, I think, didn't he go extinct? J.C. Penney was a guy who loved the Lord. He started this business 
and he started tithing and then he gave 15%. It ended up he was giving 90% of his money away and he was living on 10%. I know you're thinking, right? Yeah, but that was a big 10%. I get it. But he didn't start off that way. He was trusting God and trusting God. I wonder if there could ever be a church that could give away 90% of its money and just exist on 10%. No, that's too hard for God. God couldn't do that. But the Bible says all things are possible to those who believe. All things are possible with God. Amen. Our mission. What is our mission? Our mission is to show the glory of God. And how do we do that? By knowing who we are in Christ. We, like Jesus, he says, I, I've given you the power to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I've told you that if you're sick, call for the elders of the church and they'll anoint you with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick person. That's what, that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to be those that lift up people who are in despair and to show them God wants you to be that, that oak of righteousness, that, that firm foundation. In a generation that's filled with anxiety and worried about, oh man, what's going to happen next? God is saying we are like oaks of righteousness. We are steadfast and firm. The very first Psalm, Psalm 1 says, blessed are those who do not walk in the, in the way of unrighteousness. They don't stand in the way of sinners. They're not sitting in the seat of the scornful, but their delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, they'll meditate day and night. They will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf will not wither. And whatever they do, whatever they do, whatever they do will prosper. That's God's word to us. And our perseverance Jesus just walks right through out of this crowd. What about our perseverance? Sometimes we try to, we make the mistake of thinking, I've got, I've got to persevere. I've got to go. I've got to work. And God is saying, whoa, time out. I've got you in my hands and nobody can snatch you out. I've got you. See, the word tells us that God who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of redemption. He said, he started the work in you. You didn't start, I didn't start the work. He started the work in us. He said, I'm going to complete it. I'm not going to stop halfway. You're not going to be a, a piece of artwork that's just only half done. He says, I'm going to complete the work that I've begun in you. So I love the verses even in the Old Testament that says that, that we are holding on to his right hand. And the reality, he's holding on to us. Amen. And that's, that's the direction, that's the understanding that we have is that God is taking us on a journey. He tells us who we are, what our mission is, and the perseverance is really just him holding on to us. All we got to do is just say, God, I just want to keep being filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit in the power of the Spirit. Amen? And that's when we find healing and strength in our lives. What is God's mission? God's mission is you. God's mission is you, to set the oppressed free, to bring joy to those in despair, to bring relief from all the pressures of this life. God's mission is you. So today, let's receive God's ministry to our lives so that then we are equipped to give it to other people. We receive God's ministry in our lives. So what is it that is happening right now in your life that you say, you know what, God, I need the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe it's a relational conflict. Maybe you just haven't been able to find a way to forgive somebody who's done you wrong. 
He said, I, I need the power of the Holy Spirit in that area of my life. Perhaps it's your marriage. Perhaps it's one of your children. There's a, there's a distance there. There's a, there's a, a, a gap, a chasm. It's, and you say, I just need help. I, I, I need help. God, would you help me in that? Perhaps your finances. Maybe you're like, man, I'm working hard. I'm doing everything. God, I need help. What is it that God is speaking to you about right now? I would, I would encourage you, let's trust God. Because he said his identity and his mission was to set people free. How many of you say, I want to be free and I want to be freer than I've ever been? Anybody? Yes. See, that's what God wants to see. Faith. He says, that's what I respond to. Not lineage, not bank accounts, not was your grandfather a pastor. None of that matters. What matters is faith. Faith, faith. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. Amen?